Here, I have some fun personal updates that can go in B-roll. Okay. So my dad works in education currently, and uh, he found out that he got a- he is getting a 33% pay raise. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I am so very glad that now my dad is earning more money than me. <laughs> Especially because my, my mom- one of my mom and dad's cars, it's more his car than her car, is- Uh, on its last legs, and also the porch is falling off the back of their house. (laughs) Oh no. Like, it's not load-bearing, but it is dangerous to be on, and they had to take down the staircase. (laughs) So the only way you can access it now is through, like, the sliding door. (laughs) So they're working on getting that fixed, and now they can get that fixed with less financial stress. So 33% pay raises, may we all get them. (laughs) Yeah. May we all advocate for them. So my freaking 3% pay raise. 3%. What is this, a pay raise for ants? <laughs> right? Anyway, we should sink before we forget. Yes. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. I'm, I'm currently deep, I'm lost in the sauce of Google Maps for a joke that I need to make at the end of the episode. <laughs> You're good. That gives me time to uh that gives me time to go through and pull out and get my pull quote for the episode. Can I just say that the East Coast states, like the real real East Coast states, like New England. <laughs> well, basically Jersey and onward. This is all a mess. Like who who planned this out? Like okay, I know I know it's like bullshit politics and probably has to do with slavery, but like Mhm. These are these are some bullshit borders. Why Rhode Island so fucking tiny? <laughs> um, I feel like Pretty much any state in, like, the northeast, and honestly, like, the eastern seaboard down to the Carolinas, and I think maybe Georgia, is just, like, it's a toss-up whether it was the fledgling United States government coming up with it, or whether it was uh, the British crown, <laughs> mm. uh, who categorically did not care what happened in uh, in what ended up being called North America. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, we'll just give you this much land. Make your own borders. It's fine. And, you know, then don't worry about all of the indigenous people who have lived here for a very long time. Why? Okay. Okay. How come people make such a big deal about having to go from Manhattan to Long Island when they're so close together already? Like, I. It's one I've... tiny little bridge, one dinky little bridge. It cannot be that big a deal to go from New York City to Long Island. I mean, if it's only one bridge, though, that's a lot of congestion. I don't care. Maybe it's because I live in Canada where everything is like three hours away minimum. Yeah, it's like... Like going from going from one city to another in Saskatchewan is like going through all of the barren plains. I mean, not barren, it's an important part of the ecosystem, obviously, but it's like, there's truly nothing there. You'll go stir crazy if you're yeah. there too long. It, it's like that one Tumblr post that's been going around a while, or at least I've seen on my dash a lot of like, oh yeah, like, let's talk about distances in the uk and it's like oh if you drive for three hours in scotland you'll end up in the ocean it was like i drive for three hours and i can't even get to my parents house (laughs) i mean yeah that's maybe that's the other thing it's not it's not just america it's specifically like places like these dinky little states over here compared Mm -hmm. to the like flyover country where hey you actually seem like properly sized states from what i would assume a state is like but yes you have maybe five cities and the rest is just land (laughs) It's all about over-urbanization. Yeah, the the New Yorkers have been too New York-pilled, 
It's like, okay, you, you know that one, that, that other Tumblr post where it's like, the thing you have to remember about people who live in LA is that they don't understand how anything works because they live in LA, something like that. I think it's the same for New Yorkers. New Yorkers will whine and complain about having to go to Long Island or Jersey, but like, you compare it to trying to go anywhere else from anywhere in flyover country, and it's, mm, you would die. You would die of yeah. scurvy in two hours not seeing a building. Maybe part of it is that in... Again, for New York, for New York as, a, as an example, like if you're spending three hours in a car in the Midwest, you could get from like I guess Omaha to like Lincoln or something in Nebraska. But if you're in New York and you're spending three hours in a car, that could be a grand total of like ten city blocks, depending on how bad traffic is. <laughs> it's yeah. it's longer amounts of time for shorter amounts of distance. I don't know. I don't have a degree in studying urban planning. <laughs> be wild if I did. God, now I'm just imagining, like, someone in, like, two college students. One of them studies, like, city planning and architecture, and the other is getting a film studies degree. And they team up for, uh, for a senior, the big senior project you do in college, a capstone. They, they do a capstone together on analyzing how urban density contributes to character psychosis <laughs> in media. <laughs> Literally, just let these characters touch grass. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have a poll quote for this episode. I don't know if I do either. Cool. Let's, ju let's just get into it. Yeah. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Hello and welcome to Loser Like Me, the final episode of a Glee recap and review podcast where we watch every episode in Glee and then talk about it. But don't worry. Because Ryan Murphy has announced that next season will be a new form of revolutionary television. Wait, was this the point at which he started doing American Horror Story? I, I, I can't recall. All I know is that going into season four, like, the whole summer, Ryan Murphy was like, it's going to be a complete- Hang on, let me drink some water so I can do my Ryan Murphy voice. <clears throat> yeah, don't die, Tanner. It's going to be a completely new form of television. It's going to revolutionize how we tell stories. And it was just like a split narrative. Like, spoilers for season four. But we will be following characters in two different locations, something that Ryan Murphy has never I, considered before. You know what this reminds me of? You know that one that one bit in Toy Story where it's like Woody is having a bad dream and Andy's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> and it's like, that's just like Glee as soon as Ryan Murphy got the idea for American Horror Story. And also <laughs> individual cast members and characters on Glee. Which we have already documented, so I'm not going to relitigate that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, surprisingly, Ryan Murphy did not put his name on this episode because uh, it was written by and directed by Brad Falchuk, which has he done a double episode this season? Um, I don't think so. He wrote I Am Unicorn and Heart and... I know he directed on those. Uh, Brad wrote on... I was in the wrong column. Uh, he wrote Yes, No, which was the one where Will proposed to Emma, and that's it. Hmm. Hmm. Also, it aired on, uh, it aired on May 22nd of 2012, which was when a lot of people were graduating at that time, whether it be college or high school. <laughs> yeah. 
including me. I'll let you figure out which one that was for yourself, listeners. <laughs> we should just get into it, because let's let's get into it. I had a lot of notes. Yeah, this this is an episode. It is an episode of Glee. We begin with Will walking down the hallways, and as he gets near the choir room, he hears the kids singing, "Sit down, you're rocking the boat." And then he, uh, as he watches, we get flashbacks to the original episode, the pilot, when they were singing it, you know, before anyone hit hit puberty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of fun because it's like, well, I think the context is fun because it's like everyone got to Glee before Will did, and the seniors, who I just wrote down as the OG5, which is, you know, Artie and Tina and Kurt and Mercedes and Rachel, I'm assuming they were telling the others, but like, yeah, we will like Mr. Stream made us do this really weird cover of Sit Down Your Rock on the Boat and he put Artie on lead and they're like, we have to see this. So they just performed it again <laughs> for their friends, which I think is fun because when I was in high school choir, uh, we did not let our choir teacher live down the fact that she made us sing this old man in a choral arrangement for a concert freshman year. Oh, oh my gosh. In high school? In high school. Oh my gosh. It was her first year as a music teacher, like professionally. So like, no one makes their best decisions in their freshman year, but it was a fun running joke. <laughs> Every now and then would be like, oh yeah, you remember when this old man, dun dun. Because <laughs> literally there was like that, there was like the big scary chord. <laughs> it was a very strange piece, but it made for a great joke. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why she did it, to build a sense of camaraderie. Hey, it worked. Apparently. Still my favorite thing about high school. <laughs> I mean, choir, not that song in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they finish up. Santana declares it the most ghetto number ever, to which Artie says, Well then, just call me George Jefferson, because we went from the bottom to the top. And I'm sitting here like, no, Artie, I'm not going to call you George Jefferson. You're white as hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, and while yeah. they're talking, Will goes to the board and he just writes in big letters, Goodbye! <laughs> yeah, and we're in the last week of school. There's two days left, not even week. See, he says there's two days left in the school year, but we'll see about 17 different outfit changes from everyone. <laughs> so... <laughs> but how many of them were Kurt? <laughs> I was not, honestly, I was not keeping track. Kurt and Rachel, who probably have, like, spare wardrobes hidden in the costume department so that they yeah. can do Broadway-style quick changes throughout the day in order to stay on top of trends. Yeah, maybe they just started keeping spare outfits in their lockers when they were still getting slushied and they never stopped. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Will says that this week, or for the next for the next three days in universe, it's going to be the seniors saying bye to all the underclassmen and him. And then the underclassmen are going to sing goodbye to the seniors. And Mercedes is like, I don't want to leave high school. I love you all so much. And Brittany is like, well, we could stay here forever. We can we can use the trash can as a toilet. And uh, if we run out of food, then we can just eat Joe because she's been here the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Brittany, I need you to not... I, I, you need to not read the Wikipedia page for the Donner Party anymore, hun. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany is it gonna like her secret epilogue is that she went on to be in the writers' room for Yellow Jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we've all seen that Twitter post about like 
or maybe I forget if it's on Twitter or Tumblr, but like that post, but like Sue Sylvester would have had the Cheerios running like a bar and grill within the first three weeks of being trapped in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you know what they would have served? People. <laughs> I don't know. Baby girl, it is a cookbook. I, look, I don't, Yellow Jackets is not my thing. If it is your thing, I hope you like it. Gang, tweet at us which member of the Glee class you would most like to cannibalize. But don't be worried about it. I, I will not be doing this. <laughs> this is not a vor prompt. This is Lord of the Flies. They're very different. Wait, they didn't eat anyone in Lord of the Flies, which is honestly surprising. I don't know. Maybe it's that difference between, like, teen girls and teen boys are different. Teen girls will go feral. Teen boys will kill you. Teen girls will kill you, but then they'll eat you while hosting a bacchanalia. Sure. <laughs> anyway... Anyway. <laughs> blessedly. Uh, <laughs> blessedly to a certain extent. Will sits down on a stool and pulls out a guitar. And Quinn is like, please, t- please don't rap for the love of God. And he's no, like, no, no I'm she not says, gonna. She says, I hope you are about to rap. Oh, no. Because like, if he was to rap, they'd just be like, haha, funny Will. But if he's going to sing for real, they're going to be like, shit, shit, this is the end of an era. The linear nature of time is getting to me. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. I'll just wait about eight years and time will start unspooling. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's Forever Young. It's fine. It's a Will song. He sings it. It's a, yeah, it's a Will song. <laughs> Imagine if he rapped it. That, I I think if he had rapped it, uh, I would have turned off my television and quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it would have made you chew through a concrete block. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's fine. And then we cut to, uh, the first of several senior monologues of this episode, uh, and it's Kurt walking through the hallways, and he reminisces that, like, even though his time at McKinley started out really rough, he was deeply in the closet, he didn't talk about politics, he pretended to be in love with Rachel so he wouldn't have to date Mercedes, (laughs) (laughs) but he's just happy with how far he's come, and how he's been able to become more confident and more comfortable with who he is. And he even helped some, and I quote, tadpole gays be comfortable being themselves. <laughs> Was Kurt predicting a uh, check, please? <laughs> the hockey comic about gay people? No, no. I or think, I guess queer I think, people. I, I think he was just predicting that he him being out would help other people become comfortable. Because, like, if you remember, that was his hope for Karofsky, mm-hmm. which about half worked out. Yeah. But also remember the fact that Kurt is still a little a little bit self-centered. Not as much as Rachel, but just a little bit. And so yeah, if he saw another gay person, he'd be like, I did that. Tanner, nobody is self-centered as Rachel Berry. Yeah, but like, listen, Kurt's a distant second, but he's still second. That's fair. <laughs> Not so much to be obnoxious about it. Yeah, but... But yeah, Kurt is out here declaring himself the RuPaul of Ohio. Kurt would never frack. <laughs> he would never <laughs> cause fracking and land damage. That's true. Kurt is also a dick in- distant second... <laughs> When it comes to uh, egocentric gaze. Oh, that's a very long list, Tanner. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, actually. <laughs> anyway. It's anyway. Ha- good scene. Good scene. Yes. We need to describe the scene. The, the good scene is happening yes. now. This is not the past scene where he was like, <laughs> oh, did we mention how he's also drifting through the hallways on an invisible conveyor belt? <laughs> I didn't notice that he wasn't walking. Yeah, yeah, he's I thought he walking. was walking. He's- He's just, he is not walking. You can clearly see he's not moving. He's just standing there as he floats through the hallways. I, I made a note about that for another character later. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, he gets to the auditorium 
and Bert is there, and Kurt is like, why did you call me here? Did my Nyata letter come? And Bert's like, no, 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 sit down. And then Bert has this whole speech about how they used to be really close when Kurt was little, and then when Kurt turned seven or eight, they started to drift apart, because Kurt was just becoming a very, very different child. And even though Bert tried his best to keep up, he had just had really no idea what Kurt was talking about half the time. Like, even, yeah. like, this scene, he says, I'm here to give you your graduation gift, and Kurt says something gay that I didn't write down, because it was, like, 10 p.m., <laughs> and I was yeah. falling asleep already. Not because of the episode, just because I slept, like, five, 10 hours over the course of the 48 hours prior to watching this episode, so. Oh, Tanner. <laughs> it, I didn't plan it that way. Anyways, Bert, Bert's like, I, here, I'm gonna, here to give you a graduation gift, and Kurt is like, is it some gay thing? And Bert's like, Kurt, I've told you a thousand times. I don't understand these references, because they're not just gay, they're gay and niche. <laughs> Yes, yeah. And Kurt says something about like, oh, just get me something from the Vanity Fair collection. And then Bert's like, no, I wanted to do something for you that, because like, you know what really got us like reconnecting as like father and son, as parent and child? And he like has Kurt like sit down and he gets up on stage. (laughs) And he pulls on a sparkly glove and he's like, one day I came into the basement and you were in a leotard dancing and... Somehow, from that day on, we started walking towards each other instead of in opposite directions. <laughs> and and Natina and Brittany come out, and Bert does the single ladies dance. He he does it the best that he can. He does. Mike O'Malley is gyrating. <laughs> he does. I wrote down that Kurt is mortified and Chris Colfer is loving it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in a very clip show, uh, we get intercut with uh, clips from them performing it in Pragers. And I just wrote down Bert Hummel, best dad. Because, like, he is willing to make an absolute fool of himself to show his son how much he loves him. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that so much. It's real good. It's real good. Did Jake, did Jake see the link that you posted? He has not responded yet. Give him time, give him time. But yeah, and then in the next scene, it's Kurt and Blaine talking, and Kurt is like, yes, and it was the best graduation gift I've ever received. And Blaine's like, but I want to grab new towels. And Kurt's like, yeah, well, the towels sucked. Anyway, single ladies. I, here, here's the thing. It's like, if you have access to somebody who has an embroidery machine, monogrammed towels, yeah, it, or a monogrammer, like, that is- Is that a, a term? Maybe, but it's- it is an incredibly useful thing to have when you're in a college dorm, because that way, nobody can steal your towels. Because <laughs> you can say, look, K-E-H, Kurt Elizabeth Hummel, these are mine. Otherwise, they just end up in the common wash machine, and then you have no idea where they came from. Mm-hmm. It is a term. Oh, cool. Hey, we fig- <laughs> we got something right without knowing it ahead of time. Yes. But yeah, this is Kurt and Blaine having their long distance defining their relationship talk. Yeah, kind of. It's basically Blaine saying, I don't know what's going to happen because it would be a long distance relationship. Blaine brings up the notebook and Kurt is like, just like in the notebook, when I'm old and in a retirement home, I'm going to be talking nonstop about my high school love. But the difference is that my high school love will be right there with me, telling telling me to shut up so that he can watch the the, tribute to J-Lo. And... I just wrote down, sure, Kurt, because, <laughs> like, I am aware of what happens in the next couple of seasons, but I also know that Kurt and Blaine is endgame. <laughs> and yeah. this is why this is why I wrote down, they haven't kissed on screen in a while, huh? Yeah, because we don't need to see gays kissing. 
Unless it's Brittany and Santana. They can kiss. <laughs> no, we don't need to see them kissing either. They got a kiss last episode. Papa Ryan says no kissing. <sighs> anyway, we cut then to Kurt's senior solo, which is later that same day, I guess. And he dedicates it to all of the Glee kids, but especially the guys. Because you never saw me for the things that made us different. You only saw me for the ways that we were the same. And how much they're all friends. I dislike this. <laughs> Why? Because because it's a major plot point in, like, the first season, the entire first season, that they very much did see him for all the ways they were different. And specifically because he was gay. And it took a long time for them to come around. And it would have been cute if, the, like, the reason Kurt dedicates it to the guys is that the guys showed him that people could change and they could learn and grow. And they also taught Kurt how to stand up for himself and something like that. But no, Kurt is like, we were always friends. And, like... Kurt Elizabeth Hummel, that is historical revisionism, and we all know it. <laughs> yeah, you do have a very good point there, Tanner. Also, you only, you didn't see me for what was the different, you only saw me for what was the same. Which, that's a little concerning, because like, okay, we, the, 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 what didn't matter was the differences. What mattered was that we all had a penis. <sighs> like, I understand why you think it sounds sweet on paper. Brad. <laughs> it just doesn't add up. No. It does not. And then Kurt has Brad hit the Calypso backing track on the keyboard, <laughs> the Casio keyboard. <laughs> that Honestly, he to my grandmother. I, without knowing who this song was originally performed by beforehand, I was like, this has Enya vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's not by Enya. It was by Madonna. It's Madonna. He's singing I'll Remember. And this is my mother's favorite Glee song. Or it's very yeah. least her favorite Kurt song. Aw, that's fun. But yeah, he he does fine. It's a nice song. I like it better than Forever Young. Yes. I just wrote down, Leah Michelle is going to cry for real. And also, Cordy Crumbs. <laughs> hey, Cordy, you remember that ship? <laughs> I, on the note of Leah crying, honestly, everyone is kind of on the verge of tears in this episode because... Yeah. Like, the actors, too, know this is the end of an era. And even though, like, they've already been renewed and they know that some of them are going to be returning next season, whether it's as regulars or in a recurring capacity, it's very much like they know it's never going to be the same. That They know for a fact that they will not be waking up and going to the choir room every day like they have been for the past three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like... There was even a note in the trivia about how they had to specifically use waterproof mascara when they were doing makeup for this whole episode because everyone just kept crying. I was like, why weren't you doing that normally? Well, waterproof mascara is probably a little bit more expensive and I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, that's true. comfortable. It's, it's hard for a movie. You have to use grease to get it off. It's not, at least in my experience, I haven't... Waterproof mascara is as comfortable as regular mascara. Maybe it's like, okay. sometimes they need the mascara to run. And this Fair. time they were like, y'all are just crying so much. If we need you to look like you're not crying, we'll do it. We'll give you special water-soluble mascara. Yeah, like we can, other episodes we can plan around the crying because the crying is in the script. This episode is just going to happen and we have no control. Yeah, yeah, true. But yeah, we then cut to Rachel zooming up to Finn and Kurt in the hallway. And I wrote down that she is dressed as Madam President. <laughs> because she has on, like, a red... She has on, like, a blazer and, like, brooch pins that make her look very, like, I'm going to go join student government. <laughs> if she wasn't already a part of that to begin with. Yeah, well, no, I think she's been barred from student government because of stuffing the ballot box. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Actually, do you want to finish the scene? Because I want to take the next one. <laughs> I, yeah, because this scene is a quick little thing. And it's basically Rachel saying, hey, I heard from people that the acceptance letters for all of our colleges are being sent out this week. So let's make a pact to just wait until we all have them. And then we'll all open them together in the choir room. Mm-hmm. And they have a three-way pink they have a three-way pinky swear that's very cute. Yes, especially because Corey's hand is too big to fit in. Yeah. <laughs> he just dwarfs both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then you know who is a great boyfriend? Sam is Evans. It Sam's? It is it's Sam. Sam Evans. <laughs> because Santana goes up to Mercedes's locker where there are so many balloons. Yeah, she's I don't think she was intending to go to Mercedes's locker. She's just walking down the hall and then she gets smacked in the face by a bunch of balloons. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they're there because uh, it turns out that Mercedes was offered a was offered a recording contract as a backup singer for an indie label in Los Angeles. So Mercedes is now going to be moving to LA to take classes at the UCLA Extension there. And Sam is just so incredibly proud of Mercedes, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, they're both they're both so incredibly in love together. And even Santana, who like. Is, it looks kind of miffed at the whole thing, but then she puts on a genuine smile. It's like, hey, if this was yeah. happening to anyone else, I'd be extremely jealous. This is really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. They're friends. Friends. And then Steam is like, oh, hey, did you hear about what Mike ended up getting? And she then goes to check in with Mike, and he got a scholarship to go to Joffrey in Chicago. I don't know what that is. I'm assuming it's yeah. a school. <laughs> It's it's a ballet academy. It's a, like, I don't even know if it's a school. I think it's like a full-fledged dance troupe. Oh, wow. Nice. Let me check. Hang on, I'm, I'm Googling. Uh, the Joffrey Ballet is an American dance company and training institution in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, wow. Good for him. And so Santana they, gives him a big hug, too. Yeah. And then Tina's like, you must be excited to trade in this old Cheerios outfit for the one in, when you go to the University of Kentucky. And like, it's not meant to be backhanded, but Santana in her head is like, fucking Kentucky? These people go to have amazing dreams and I'm stuck going to fucking Kentucky. Yeah, and this is her little senior monologue. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically like, she she is a star as big as Rachel or Kurt, so she should be also be able to hit the big time. Agreed. Thank God her mom is here to support her. And then we cut to Gloria Estefan. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, we cut to dinner at Breadsticks with Brittany and Santana and Mrs. Lopez. Apparently, this is entirely because Gloria Estefan watched Glee. <laughs> Oh, for real? Like, yeah, it's apparently she was watching Glee and she watched the episode I Kissed a Girl. You know, the one where Santana's abuela disowns her? Yeah. And Gloria Estefan tweeted out something to the effect of like, oh man, like Santana has it so bad. She needs a mom who will support her. And then literally the next day she was in talks to be a guest star as Mrs. Lopez. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's like, this is the one instance of somebody being a fan of Glee doing good. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but this is the biggest one that I can think of. It's truly wild that she does not sing at all in this episode because it's Gloria freaking Estefan, but also like, <sighs> she would have overshadowed everyone. True, true. Absolutely true. Does she get to sing with Naya at any point? Technically, yes. I'll take it. I'll take a technicality. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a very cute dinner. Mrs. Lopez tells an embarrassing childhood story about Santana dressing up as Uncle Jesse from Full House, <laughs> which is delightful. And also, Mrs. Lopez mentions that, hey, you know what? Like, I am sorry that your abuela is a homophobe, 
but you know what? Like, you don't have to keep people in your life if they're going to be mean to you and tear you down. Yeah, I, I have fully cut your dad's mom out of the family. Excellent. <laughs> because she doesn't love you. Even if she can kill werewolves, if she doesn't support her queer granddaughter, she's not in our lives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then while while they're chatting, Santana announces that she doesn't want to go to New York. And Maribel is like, no, no, you're going to go to New York. She, or she, she doesn't want to go to Kentucky. She doesn't mm-hmm, want to go to the University mm-hmm. of Kentucky. And Maribel says, no, you are definitely going to university because you have a full ride scholarship. You need to take advantage of that. And our family never had the chance to go to university. So you should go. Just like Brittany, who's going to the University of Purdue. And Brittany's like, no, no, that this chicken factory. But I actually can't work there either because I'm not graduating. <laughs> yeah. Brittany, Brittany is not graduating because the showrunners of Glee needed a guaranteed female lead to stay in Lima, Ohio going into season four. Who's Tina? Who's Tina? They don't care. The fuck is Tina? I mean, also, it would, it makes sense. Okay, I don't want to be mean to Brittany, but it does make sense she's not graduating. It, it does suck that, like, everyone is falling over themselves trying to help Puck get out. But yes. nobody no seems one's to helping care about Brittany. Brittany. I don't know, I think... I think maybe it's because Puck is, like, spiraling because of his inability to graduate, and Brittany is, like, he is, 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 she's kind of made it clear that she can, she's accepted this, she can handle it. He is further down the spiral than Brittany is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's also, it's it's entirely possible that they didn't even know Brittany was a senior on account of the fact that no one seems to take classes with exclusively people in their grade. Yes, this is also true. And then the gist of it is that uh, Santana offers, like, oh, it's okay, I'll just stay in Lima with Brittany, because our relationship is important to me. And Maribel's like, hmm, this concerns me. Yeah. And we just cut, we just cut to a lot of shoulder dancing. <laughs> we cut to the choir room, where an intro is playing, as Finn declares that this is the senior's graduation gift to the underclassmen. This is your glee club. Take care of it, and it'll take care of you. And then that leads into, you've got the music in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get what you give is the title of the song. That's right. You get what you give. I totally forgot. I can't believe I forgot because it's my favorite song. <laughs> it's cute. It's fun. It's it's really good. It's got all of like each of the seniors have a moment where like th- they're mostly singing from the back of the room, and then like one by one or two by two they run up and they like hug their closest underclassman friend or like whoever they've been connected to. I uh, know Puck mm-hmm. makes eyes at Sugar. Because Sugar doesn't really have anyone she's connected to. No one goes to Rory. Aww. We have already forgotten about the poor Irish idiot Rory. This is Rory Watch. No one likes him anymore. He had a nice shirt on in this scene. I actually, I think, I hate his shirt in this scene. I don't think it fits properly. It was a nice dark navy and that was a good color on him. (laughs) There's another bit of corny crumbs in there. And it's just like, come on, y'all. You know this isn't a real ship. (laughs) My only other note for this scene was... They substitute in, we'll kick you down, yeah, instead of, we'll kick your asses. <laughs> yeah. The the other thing, the other weird thing about this song is that Cord Overstreet sings on the album release, even though Sam is a sophomore, or is a, is a junior in this season. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I entirely believe it's because they didn't decide to make Sam a junior until the last minute. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But it's a good musical number. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It is my favorite song. This it's like this one in tongue tied. If they hit me in the right mood, I will get a little teared up <laughs> because both of them very much encapsulate the we won and now we're leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. 
they uh they they end the song by pulling all the underclassmen standing up and like running around them while singing the last few bits and then all the seniors are sitting down while the underclassmen are standing where the seniors were before because it's come full circle and it's the the old era is is at the end but it's the new era i'm at the, I'm at the old world dying i'm at the new world struggling to be born i'm at the combination old world dying and new world struggling to be born <laughs> They're looking at a ball like, you are the future of the New Directions! Except for you, Rory. Get deported. Yeah. Poor Rory. <sighs> Sorry, Damien. Damien, this is about you. I love you. But you gotta agree that the show- you, You've already said the show very much gave you the shaft. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Anyways, after this song, and what I assume is a commercial break, we go to Finchel Wedding Planning, and Rachel is like, we have to get the fancy chairs! I can't live without the fancy chairs! Yeah, it's- it's two chairs for their wedding and their wedding reception. There is a plain white folding chair, and there is a more formal chair with like gold painted back on it. I have I, I looked at these chairs and I had like PTSD flashbacks to my catering days. <laughs> oh no. There was one time we were working a wedding reception that was outside on a hill, and we had those white folding chairs. And uh, then we had a microburst storm happen literally over the wedding reception. Uh-oh. Those chairs went so far. Mm. No one got hurt. It was just a big mess. But yeah, the Rachel's like, I've already compromised on where we're going to have the wedding and what food we're going to have. So I just want to have my fancy chairs and so my butt can sit in a nice chair. <laughs> and Finn is like, Rachel, do you want? Do you still want to get married to me? And she's like, "Yes, it's the only thing that I know for certain is that I want to be married to you." And I just wrote down Leah and Corey cuddle. <laughs> it's not even in character at this point. It's just them being cute. Yeah, and then we get to cut to Finn walking through the hallway. He is walking. He's not on the conveyor belt. <laughs> it was too tall for the conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, I feel good about high school career. My grades may not have been the great, but I won a state football championship, a national glee club title. I never hurt anybody real bad. And it turns out I never actually got someone accidentally pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he he used to be terrified of the future, but now he's excited that he gets to move to New York with his awesome uh, girlfriend slash fiance slash wife and his gay stepbrother. <laughs> yeah. And he we see a little scene of Finn auditioning uh, for the for the Actors Academy that he was wanting to get into. He's gonna get inside the Inside the Actors Studio studio. Yes. With James Lipton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I nailed the audition and I'm not afraid of the future anymore. And that we do not see the audition. <laughs> no. Blessedly. We don't see the audition things that make you go, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go to him, he goes into Will's office to get his yearbook back, and Will's written like, Hey Finn, nice knowing you. Have fun in New York. Bye. And Finn is like, oh, I was hoping for a little more emotion. Like, wasn't I your little brother or the son you never had or something like that? I'm gonna be the best man at your wedding. <laughs> I am objectively your favorite student. I'm your only male friend. Yeah. <laughs> and Will is like, I couldn't write anything emotional because I kept crying. And Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then he finally fesses up to planting the pot in Finn's locker back in the pilot to make him be in Glee Club. And Finn is like, wow, you're so cool. 
And they're like, no, Finn, this is the wrong takeaway. Yes. Finn. Finnethy Hudson. This is not how you be a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. Also, Will tells him, like, super casually. He's like, hey, Finn, by the way, I put some weed in your locker. I know it was wrong, and I've always been uh, concerned about it, so I have to come clean now. Yeah. I don't know. It's whatever. It's fine. Yeah. We then cut to, uh, we cut back to the Hudson Hummel household, where Carol sets out Finn's, Finn's graduation robe in all of its red polyester glory. And with the extra long sleeves, because he's so dang tall. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a little scene that's basically, Finn is still really hung up on doing justice to his dad's memory and getting his discharge status state uh, changed. Because he's like, wow, my birth dad saved two soldiers' lives by pulling them out of a burning truck. And Carol really doesn't say a whole lot, which I think is a crime against Romy Rosemont. <laughs> but the impression that I was getting was kind of like, Finn, we've been over this. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and Finn, because yeah, Finn's just concerned because he wasn't able to get his dad's dishonorable discharge honorized. And she's like, hey, your dad made your choices and you did everything you could. And Finn's like, I don't think I did. Because my dad pulled soldiers from a burning truck and now I'm just gonna be an actor? Everything feels like it's falling into place, except for him. Finn, honey, he's dead. He's been dead for a very long time. And we already had this, we already had the subplot, like, at least six episodes ago. Yeah. But then we get, then we get a nice and Finn moment again. Because uh, we're back in the choir room, the underclassmen have something to say to the seniors, specifically Finn, and they're like, you're our friend, which we didn't expect to happen. But like, even before the Glee Club was cool, you had our backs. And you had to lose a lot and make a lot of sacrifices to be here. Mm-hmm. And then they sing, In My Life. I just wrote down, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Because I love this song, and I think they do a good job, and it's very sweet. And everyone cries. Got a little bit teary. It is rough because some of the lyrics are with all these places yeah. have their memories with lovers and friends I still can recall. Some are dead and some are living. In my life, yeah. I've loved them all. Oh yeah. no! Yeah, yeah. That part really sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's tragic in retrospect. Yeah, it's harsher in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like tragic in retrospect. I know that's not the name of the trope. I like the trope because it alliterates. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's nice. I like it. They hit the falsetto at the end, which is neat. <laughs> you know? In my life. It's good. And then we cut to Quinn in the wardrobe from two musical numbers ago. <laughs> this is the part where I noticed that she was gliding down the hallway on like a dolly or a, or like one of those like carts with wheels on it while everyone else is walking. Yeah, it was a belt. Yes, she's on one of the moving paths from an airport that they just put in this high school for some reason. Mm -hmm. And her, her, her senior monologue is about, like, everyone is crying, but you know what? Like, I'm not crying. I have made my peace with leaving high school. And plus, it's hard to, it's hard to feel weepy when I look at my friends because they're all going to do such good things and she's so proud of them. Yeah. And then she goes down the hallway and she finds Coach Beast grilling Puck on geography before his test retake. And Quinn is like, I want this week, my last week in high school, to be about giving back a little bit of what I've gotten. Also, she is quizzing him on South American geography. So, okay, on the one well, hand... It, yeah. On the one hand, it means that the class is just a geography class and only, only the test was European geography. But then why is Coach Beast quizzing him? on South American geography instead of European geography. 
it's probably a much a more of a broad it's okay actually you know what yeah do, do miss dusenberry probably made a makeup test specifically for puck that was much more broad of the subjects they learned so that she could just ensure that he was had a general understanding of you know what a map is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah but then quinn quinn walks away from puck being quizzed on geography back into the faberry bathroom <laughs> <laughs> it really is the Faberry bathroom. It really is. They're, when they tear, if they haven't already, when they tear down that set on the on the back a lot, they're going to put a sign above the bathroom that says the Faberry bathroom. <laughs> and Quinn goes up to Rachel in the bathroom and she says, hey, Rachel, aren't you so glad that we're friends? And Rachel's like, well, we are really friends, aren't we? And Quinn says, Rachel, I got you a Metro Pass to hang out so that we can hang out when I'm at Yale and you're in New York so that we can keep being friends. Harold. 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 Is this what you were looking up the part about transit for? No, this is the end of the episode I was looking up transit ah. for. Ah, okay. It's, it's, this one is, is vaguely believable that there could be transit yeah. between New York and New Haven. Yeah. And so we get that and it's very cute. And then Quinn is like, I'm so glad that you and Finn are together. You guys were meant to be, even though I oppose teen marriage. And Rachel is like, oh, and you were Puck. You and Puck were so good together. I think he was his best when he was with you. And I'm just like, no. Quinn and Puck have been categorically and repeatedly proven to be over each other. But not today. (laughs) Not today, motherfucker. <sighs> I don't... Backslide, backslide, fucking backslide. Literally. She is backslid so hard. Literally backsliding straight into season one. She's helping Puck study, and Puck's like, I can't study. The information is like, my brain's like a roach motel. The information checks in, but it doesn't check out, and I can't write it on the paper. And Quinn is like, well, I love you, so I'm gonna fuck the information back out of your brain. Back into his brain. <laughs> No, it's trapped in his brain. She needs to fuck it out so it goes on the paper. Sure. Sure. And then they sing Jerk It Out by the Caesars. This is a joke. They don't sing that. <laughs> My note for the scene is just all caps. No! It is kind of disconcerting that Quinn is like, you were my first. And Puck is like, yeah, yeah, that was under really uh, suspicious circumstances. And I feel very bad about that. She's like, well, it still counts. And we're bonded forever because of the baby. Like, this would be a much more... I, I would believe this much more if it was in the sense of, like, look, like, I look, I, I have a platonic love for you. Like, we went through this thing that was... We went through a lot of things that were very traumatic, and we are both still people on the other side of it, which is important and special. Yeah. But nope, nope. Puck can only remember things if he has at least kissing, if not sex. <laughs> yes. Apparently, yes. Sure. Go for it. I hate this. A kiss from the right girl at the right time can bring you back to life. It's like CPR with tongues. It can change you even if it's back into what you already were. A badass. Get ready, Test. Pugzilla's about to be your daddy. No. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. I categorically reject this plotline. Roz walks into Sue's office and she's like, Hello, Sue Sylvester and your vampire baby. I'm here to suggest a plotline for my character continue in season four. What if we team up to take down Figgins because he's an incompetent principal? Yeah. And then I just wrote down more Sue is having a geriatric pregnancy jokes. 
<laughs> I I did take this line and run with it, and I did make that like a whole arc in my season four fanfic that that I wrote yeah. ten years ago, right yeah. after the season finished. Tanner, you're telling me that your fic is ten years old. Yes, I am. Excellent. Sue and Roz formed an alliance of doom, along with Will and Emma, to get rid of Figgins, who, in my fanfic, turned out to be kind of uh, transphobic, and they get him kicked out of the school. And then Sue and Roz both fail their uh, their interviews to be uh, installed as the new principal at McKinley, because they're both cartoon characters. And so instead, the new principal was David Tennant. <laughs> sure, why not? He was going to become Beast's new love interest. Hey, you know what? I bet David Tennant would be down for that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Anyway, after Coach Roz uh, leaves the room, Quinn comes in and she says, Coach Sylvester, I've come to return my uniform. Thank you for letting me have it back for uh, senior year. But now you can, I don't know, reuse the uniform, which is a thing in school. Like, they do that quite frequently. But Sue is like, no, I want you to keep your uniform. I'm going to retire it. Which is weird because they don't have numbers on those uniforms. No, they don't. But So how do you retire it? Uh, you give it to somebody who you care a lot about? I guess. I guess. And Sue is like, Quinn, sit down. We're going to have a talk. And <laughs> when I just kind of wrote down the vague notes here, but Sue is like, Quinn, when I first met you, you remind me so much of myself, a young Sue Sylvester. But you know what? Like, you're not. Like, you're just as smart and pretty as I was when I was younger, but you're better. And Sue says, I admire you, Quinn Fabray, and I'm gonna miss you. And I'm gonna be able to look back and say, like, hey, you know what? I knew her when. And they both cry, and they have a really <laughs> nice hug, and I love it. I was tearing up a little bit. Especially when, you know, like, Sue has really been, like, Quinn Fabray has been Sue Sylvester's most efficient nemesis over the three seasons of the show. Yeah. And I really like I really like this scene. They're friends. The top enemies of Quinn Fabray are Sue Sylvester and Quinn Fabray. <laughs> and Ryan Murphy. <laughs> but that's kind of implied at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's time for support. By which I mean, we cut to the entire Glee Club hanging out outside Miss Dusenberry's classroom. While she finishes grading Puck's test? It's it's all the seniors. Oh, okay. I thought I saw Joe there. Maybe it was a fugue state. Maybe. Everyone runs up and they're like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, do you have the results back yet? And Puck's like, no. And if I fail, I'm gonna slash all the faculty's tires! <laughs> it's like, Finn, nope, Puck. Puck, honey, no. You don't do that anymore, honey. You know what? Finn would help him if he had to. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, Miss Dusenberry walks out of the classroom and hands Puck his paper, after, and Rachel tries to grab it first. <laughs> <laughs> but then Puck takes it before she can, and he turns it over with, like, his back to everyone else. And it's a C+, plus, which is a That's Puckerman A+. <laughs> He's graduating! He's graduating! And we cut immediately to graduation. Yeah. Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. None of these kids are alphabetized. Nope. All of the non-Glee seniors are already on stage. Yeah, they saved the Glee kids for last because they're the most popular kids. I mean, 
You know what? That's kind of fair because for one, this school is incompetent as all hell. But also, I can I can justify the Glees getting the, like the glory position at the end of graduation because they were like the final title, so they're popular specifically for like this last week and the summer. <laughs> Recency bias. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and everyone's families are there, which is really nice. We see Mike walk across the stage and his dad is so proud. Quinn. His mom's there too. His mom's there too. Yeah. But Mike's dad. We knew she was going to be proud. Yeah. Mike's dad being proud is a new, is a new development. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We see Quinn and Mercedes and Puck and Santana. Kurt, who walks in with a high kick. He has a cockroach brooch. Yeah. And I think that's a hairspray reference. I, I don't know. Um, the wiki said that he wore this brooch in Defying Gravity back in season one. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe he's like, I'm the cockroach that you couldn't kill, William Kenley High School. Maybe. I'm just I'm just thinking because, like, the, the original Hairspray, not the 2007 one, but, like, the John Waters one, had, like, a, a subtle roach, not a subtle roach, but, like, a minor roach motif going through the whole thing. Because, like, they compared Tracy to a cockroach and said, oh, there's going to be cockroaches in her hair. And so then, like, in the final number, she wears, like, a pink sparkly dress with black roaches on it. And, like, the design of the roaches is very similar to Kurt's roach roast. Roach huh. brooch. So this is my this is my headcanon that Kurt is walking into, like, I am the Tracy Turnblad of McKinley High. <laughs> sure, honey. But I liked the part that when Kurt is walking out, you can hear faintly over the backing track uh, Bert Hummel going, Woo! That's my boy! <laughs> I love Bert. Bert, Bert, best dad. And then Finn walked across the stage, and he held up his he held up his diploma, and his mom was so proud, and I teared up a little bit again. <laughs> and then Rachel. Yeah, because Rachel's the specialist girl, apparently. Rachel is a specialist girl. She's so special. Ryan Murphy's Blurbo. <laughs> Ryan Murphy's self insert. I mean, literally, yes. <laughs> if the Glee Club crashed into the woods, Rachel would be the first to suggest cannibalism. Brittany already did categorically. No, I know, but Brittany was doing it because she was Brittany. Rachel is like, now I can justify it. Oh, boy. So, now it's time. Now that everyone's graduated, let's see if anyone actually gets to go to college. Yeah, yeah. The the power trio of Finn, Kurt, and Rachel have come into the choir room. They all have their letters. Finn is like, I want to wait forever. Because after we open these, no matter what happens, everything changes. Yeah. But then he opens his first. Yeah. And he did not get in, which is, did not, does not surprise me, because he, cer- like I said earlier, he certainly didn't seem like he was super passionate about acting. He just kind of really felt like he said that to get his family off his back. That being said, now that, like, everything is not falling into place, like he previously said, now this is kind of when it sets in that Finn is like, oh no, the future is scary again. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Rachel's like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. And Finn is like, someone else open that letter, please. Someone do it. And Kurt opens his letter, and he didn't get into Niata. Burn the school down. Yeah. That, this, is, this is a hack college. Exactly. And then Rachel opens her letter, and she got in. And this nobody's, cla- and nobody's clapping. Okay, so, like, Emily, this might have to go into a different track, but, like, Tanner... Did I mind freak myself into thinking that Kurt gave up his spot at Niata so that Rachel could get in? Yes, you did. Okay, thank God. But that I, that may have been a theory going on during the hiatus. And another theory was that Kurt's application was denied because Rachel's dad bribed for her to get in without her knowledge. And so, like, the admissions chair 
removed Kurt from the docket and put Rachel in instead. That was another theory going around, and that's a theory that I did put into my fanfic. Huh. Well, I'm very glad that it was that they didn't write in Kurt giving him up his spot to Rachel, because then if that had happened, then I would have been chewing through concrete. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And finally, we get the final senior monologue of the episode, which is Rachel clearing out her locker. She's like, look at all my accomplishments. All my dreams have come true. Well, no, she now technically she's saying that if freshman Rachel saw her today, that's what she would be saying. Because she she graduated honors, she was in all the clubs, she won Glee Club Nationals, and she's headed to New York. But dreams change, because now she doesn't want to go to New York if she knows Finn and Kurt can't go with her. Mm-hmm. So she's going to defer her application and for, for a year, and then, or defer her entry for a year. And then spent that year helping Finn and Kurt improve their own applications and resumes. Which is like, if that had happened, that would have been one of the most selfless things that Rachel Berry would have ever considered doing. Well, and to be fair, she was gonna do that. Yes. Yeah. It's not something that someone else suggested and she said, no, I can't. She's the one who came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to another person cleaning out her locker, Santana, who's mm-hmm. just basically junking everything because she doesn't want, she says she doesn't want to hold on to keepsakes because that might leave her the excuse to look at them instead of actually staying in contact with a person. Mm-hmm. Which is like, like, I can understand where she's coming from, but it's kind of nihilistic. <laughs> well, also, like, this episode has shown that Santana's been in a bit of a nihilistic move this whole episode because Santana, yeah. like, very much sees herself in a lose-lose situation. Either she's losing Brittany, or she's losing university, or she's losing her chance at big. She can't have everything that she wants, and she doesn't know which one she should go after. She's kind of got the decision paralysis, honestly. Yeah, mood. Literally me yesterday, like, I don't know where to- <laughs> Hey, hey Jake and Josh server, help me decide where I go to get a, to get a breakfast snack. <laughs> they were very good donuts, though, so <laughs> it worked in my favor. But as Santana's cleaning out her locker, uh, Mama Lopez comes up, like saying, "Like, hey, like you're taking so long. We've got our we've got our graduation dinner. We're waiting for you." And she's like, "Yeah, but it's just with you and Dad." And she's like, "But we got a pinata." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would never turn down a pinata. It's very cathartic. Exactly. And you, you get it candy. So that you can hit something. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, Mama Lopez says, "Like, I also wanted to give you your birthday present that." Probably wouldn't have been a good idea to put in a pinata, according to your dad. <laughs> um, we don't see a number, but it's a check for a very large amount of money. Or at least much larger than Santana was anticipating. Yeah, she's like, because... Mom, how do you have this much money and you're not driving a Lexus? Yeah, and she's like, because like ever since you were born, I have saved up every spare cent from every spare cent from tax refunds from Christmas bonuses, specifically to go towards paying for your college. And Santana's like, but I have a scholarship. And she's like, you don't have a scholarship to New York. And I want you to be happy. And she gives her a big hug. And Mama Lopez says, from now on, it's up to you. Mama Lopez is so great. I want to see the group chat with Carol and Bert and Mama Lopez. (laughs) And Mrs. Chang. Yes. How come Bert gets to be in the mom chat? Uh, because he's just that nice. Okay, that's fair. And they d- they didn't want to add either of the berries. Yeah, no. 
No, they were like, we need a chat for people who are regular. They'll add Leroy later because he will become more normal. Yes. Good God. I just, I read a lot of chat fics and now I'm like, chat fic for the normal parents. <laughs> and, and a separate chat for all of the other parents, including Hiram and Leroy. <laughs> it's Hiram, Leroy, and Shelby. Oh my god, that would be terrible! By which I mean the cringe. Yeah. The hey, cringe. speaking of cringe, let's go into this final scene. Yeah, so Tanner, I need you to know that for a very long time, I have had a potential episode title based on just what I knew about this scene, and it still mm? holds. Mm? The White Fanging of Rachel Berry. That's what it is! Because it's that's literally what it is. Finn picks up Rachel, and she has her little pink suitcase- And she's like, wow, it's time for us to go get married. Wait, this isn't the way to the wedding venue. And they end up- No, I'm taking you to the train station. You know the Lima, Ohio train station? Yeah. And he stops the car and he's like, Rachel, like, they have a very intense conversation, which is basically like, Rachel, you you can go to New York. I cannot. Yeah, okay. I will say, as much as I hate this scene and how this episode ends, I, Corey is acting the shit out of this speech. Yeah, yeah. It's- because Finn is so conflicted. He has a martyr complex worthy of any Catholic. I can hear your microphone shaking with the intensity of that statement. Well, I was, I was hitting my desk at the same time for emphasis. I won't hit uh-huh. my desk anymore. I'll hold my hands together and not make contact with my desk. You can clap. But he- it, it is this combination of, let's psychoanalyze Finn Hudson for, psychoanalyze, if you will, Finn Hudson for a moment. His self-esteem is so low. And he's like, Rachel, why do you want to get married to me? Like, I couldn't even get into the, the inside the actor's studio. But you are so talented. You are so good. You can go to New York. You can accomplish all your dreams. And she's like, but I want to be wherever you are. And he's like, do you want to be in Fort Benning, Georgia? And she's like, wait a goddamn second. And he's like, he says something about his dad. And he has gotten it so deep into his psyche that the only way to make Rachel very happy is to let her go to New York. And she's like, are you breaking up with me? And he's like, no, I'm setting you free. Yeah, he, he's, okay, so this little part of his speech that I wrote down is, you need yeah, to be yeah. a star without me, that's how much I love you. We need to surrender. I know that's hard for you because I know how hard you hold on to stuff, but we need to let go and let the universe do its thing, and if we're meant to be together, we're meant to be together, whether it's in a shoebox in New York or on the other side of the world. Will you do that with me? Will you surrender? Yeah, it's, this is just the part where I wrote down, this is some damn fine acting from Corey and Leah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just... It's just very good. Now I will I will note that the alternate interpretation of this scene is that Finn joined the army specifically to get away from Rachel. I I don't know. <laughs> Which is, you know, the the text doesn't support it, but it is funny to think about. <laughs> I don't quite subscribe to that. I yeah. I'm more along the lines of like Finn is like the on, the only way that I can help that I can help my fiance to be the best version of herself to accomplish all her dreams. Like, I am putting your dreams above my own happiness because I want to marry you so badly. Mm -hmm. I also know that you will not be able to fully realize your character motivations unless you are in New York. So I am going to go a place where you are not devoted enough to follow me to. Namely, the army. (laughs) 
And yeah, again, Finn, Finn, honey, I need you to get some self esteem. And Please. Rachel, also, I need, I need you to be. I, Rachel, I need you to be a more to be a. What's the what's the word? Assert yourself. Yes, she needs to assert herself, and she needs to be a more conscientious and caring partner. Yes. Also, this is the part where I say, kids, don't... Okay, well, don't join the U.S. military, period. Yeah. But d- also, don't join any military if you feel like you have an obligation to do so. Like, I don't care if you're a legacy, or you need to redeem your parents, or your lover is going there. It's mm-hmm. just like, d- just don't get involved. Yeah. It is a very taxing career path, mentally, emotionally. Physically. And the U.S. military will ruin you. Yes. Like, I specifically, like, I have, I have two friends in real life, both of whom were in the U.S. military. I don't think either of them would encourage their kids to go into the military. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know if they would change whether or not they were in the military themselves, but I don't think they would encourage their kids to be in the military, simply Mm -hmm. because it's not... Look, if we're going to talk about the military-industrial complex in the United States, we are going to be here for a very long time, and I'm going to go find some liquor. (laughs) But Yeah, and I, to be frank, and also I'm not well-versed enough in the differences between the American military and the Canadian military, because and the the militaries of the world. I know there are differences. Mm Mm-hmm. I yeah. know that none of them are great, but U.S. military is, like, categorically worse than everyone. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Finn, Finn Hudson deserves so much better than being in the military. And I know his time in the military is not long on Glee, yeah. which, I'm, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Hopefully he's in the military just long enough to get GI Bill credits. <laughs> I did actually... One thing I do... One of the several things I regret from my season four of fanfiction is that I did fully commit to Finn being in the military. Oh no! And then even worse, my plans for going forward in this fanfic universe was that after a year in the military, he'd quit and become a cop. Oh no, Tanner! So yes, that, that that's just to say that all things are equal, and even me ten years ago can make a decision worse than Ryan Murphy. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, another thing I need to break down for this scene. Uh, so as as Rachel is leaving the car, she and Finn are singing. Um, there's more Finn singing in the album release than the episode. The episode is much more about Rachel singing the song. Mm-hmm. She is fucking bawling. She is clearly has tears in her eyes. And yeah. she, but she goes to the train platform where all her friends are like, "Yay, Rachel's going to New York!" While she is still clearly like in an emotional train wreck. And yeah. it's like, Wow. Is. is <laughs> What is happening here? What are their thoughts? Do they think she's just really overcome with emotion for going to New York? Is the crying only happening in her head and she's putting on a happy face on the outside? Or do they just not give a shit? It looked like when they specifically got off, or when when Rachel got out of the car and they were first walking up to the train station to the platform, Rachel was clearly, you know, post-cry, red-faced, kind of snotty. But then they, but then when they actually get onto the platform and they see everybody there, like she, her face looks a lot more composed. So maybe they shot this part first. Maybe. Also, do they know that Finn is white fanging Rachel, or did he tell them that so, this is what she decided? Because they certainly. They, <laughs> Tanner, this answer is going to blow your mind. 
Oh no, I just remembered what you're about to say. So, listeners, like, as everyone from the Glee Club, including Will and Emma, are on the platform to send Rachel off, they're all, everyone gives her a big hug as she goes to get on the train, and everyone's smiling and waving. Apart from Leah and Corey, the rest of the cast did not get the last couple pages of the script, and they did not know about the Finchel breakup until the episode aired on television. <laughs> Oh yeah, yes, I do remember that now. And you know what else I just remembered is that I incorporated that into my fic as well. Yeah, because it's like how, it's like truly, Finn Hudson needs to work in some kind of intelligence security. <laughs> because he, I'm not, not in the military, not in the military, <laughs> but he managed to keep the fact that he was white fanging Rachel a secret from everybody, including Rachel, except for presumably his parents and Rachel's parents. What if he didn't though? What? <laughs> no, okay, if he kept it a secret from everyone else, he probably kept it a secret from the parents too. Oh no, no, he would have had to tell Rachel's parents because he says that they're waiting for her in New York. Yes, so that they can go experience the city and find a place for her to live in New York. Sure, why not? But yeah, so they were truly in the dark and I would have loved to just see the, the cast group chat like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yo, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Anyways, another another thing I need to break down of K. Remember I was talking about American Transit? Yes. Elaborate. There is no train that goes from Lima to New York nonstop. If you want if you want to take transit from Lima to New York, okay, first first you have to get on the Chicago to Columbus train to get to Columbus, and then you get off in Columbus and you have to get on the Columbus to Buffalo, but then you have to get off in Cleveland, and then you have to take the Cleveland Greyhound through to New York, but it goes through Pittsburgh and it makes four stops. And then you have to get to the Port Authority bus terminal and then get to New York. And this is a process that takes you 18 hours and 30 minutes. Yeah. She was going to spend almost a day on that train. And she's in not that gonna, outfit. In that outfit, she is not going to arrive in New York looking as fresh and spick and span and happy to be in the Big Apple as she does in this episode. Like, and to have Finn, somehow gained a snappy red hat. <laughs> yeah. Finn, it would have been better if you just hand her off to her parents, but then I guess that is just straight up kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> I should make a fandom account so I can put in the a mistake and say there is no train that goes directly to- I mean, I think I still have a fandom account from the Pokemon World Tree United wiki. I could probably do that. <laughs> Yeah, there, okay, so there's a note in the mistake section for the episode. It says, When Rachel arrives in New York, she is shown leaving Grand Central Station, which is used for commuter trains. Amtrak trains, which Rachel would have taken to go from Lima to New York, use Penn Station. And you need to add an edit there and be like, Also, there is no train that goes directly from Lima to New York. And she would have had to make, like, four transfers. Maybe the only good thing about the Glee universe, besides the fact that Mercedes Jones exists in it, is the fact that maybe they have high-speed rail. Yeah. <laughs> Can can I talk about this scene, This which is the first scene in three seasons of Glee as an adult to make me actually cry? Really? Really. Not to throw shade, but for real? For real. Okay. We can cry about different things. <laughs> Specifically, like, because as Rachel is singing the song Roots Before Branches, like, Everyone gets up on the train station and the platform and they give they all give her hugs, including Will and Emma. And what got me crying was the fact that when Rachel gets on the train and sits down and the train goes to leave, we see from the inside of the train looking out the window, Rachel with her hand on the like with the palm of her hand on the window, like as Finn is outside, like looking up and you know, staring at her. 
and the train starts and he's is like kind of you know like walking to keep up with the train and then it goes faster and he keeps running and then it goes faster and he runs out of platform and he can't catch up and i i cried i didn't cry much but i did cry because That's it's fair. he for some reason fidhunsen loves rachel so much and even if i don't agree that they even if i don't know if they should be together in character it was Corey is a Corey is a damn fine actor, and I, I I was very moved by his performance, and I cried. Okay, that's fair. I can yeah. understand where you're coming from now. Um, hey, do you know who sings this song "Roots Before Branches"? Uh, yeah, I know who sings <laughs> the song "Root Before Branches." Uh, it's everyone's favorite musical lich and mine, uh, Nikki Anders, and her husband, regular guy who supports the cast, Adam Anders. Who are the yeah. music supervisors for Glee and yeah. the Glee Project? Yeah, this was this was the tipping point that made me start chewing through a concrete block after everything else that just pissed me off about this whole scene. So many factors combined, and then here comes Nikki Anders with the steel chair. No, Nikki Anders with with, with the demi lich necklace. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Anders eats my entire soul. In case in case she's listening, this is jokes. This is jokes. This is jokes, but also I do have, we, we have strongly worded notes about your treatment of the Glee Project cast. And yes. I hope you regret some of the things you said, Nikki Anders. <laughs> yes, that is also true. Yeah, you sing fine. I'm not going to insult your singing. Clearly you have competent musical knowledge if you became the musical director. I'm not going to insult you on that. You're good at that. It's a good song. It's, it's just... Yeah. You, and especially, especially coming up on the second season of the Glee Project, where I, in real time, got really mad with Nikki Anders back in the day watching it. <laughs> Oh boy, can't wait for this summer. But yeah, it's... Here's the thing. It's not a bad song. It's just really weird that the two musical... That the two musical directors of the show were like, we're gonna put our song in here. This is just for us. I mean, there is president because last season finale had a Will song by by Will. Yeah, but it wasn't a good song. This one is decent. That's fair. Yeah. We will see future original songs written by... Uh, Darren Crist. Yes. And a Rachel. Oh, no. There, Rachel Berry also sings a Darren Criss original in the series finale. Mm, okay. My only other note for this end scene was that as Rachel. Rachel, of course, gets off the subway at 42nd Street because, of course, she does. She ends up walking. She's like, wow. Wow. It's New York. Wow. And. She walks past the same theater, like, back and forth, like, three times. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Berry is fucking lost. <laughs> I mean, statistically, probably. In 2012, we were barely in iPhone eras. GPS on GPS on cell phones was nowhere near as good as it is now in the year of our Lord 2023. Rachel Berry was trying to buy scalped Broadway tickets, fake scalped Broadway tickets from a homeless person a year ago. She does not know how to survive on her own in New York. Her, no. her dads are waiting for her at the Niata dorms and they're like, hey, where the fuck is our daughter? Yeah. We have not heard from her in 24 hours ever since her fiance white fanged her. Yeah. But yeah, and that's the end of season three on congratulations, Leah and Michelle. Rachel Berry finally made it to New York. Aren't you happy now? I have more trivia, though. What is the more trivia now? So there were several cut scenes for this episode, because apparently the original cut ran 15 minutes long, and so they cut, like, at least three or four scenes. <laughs> they cut a scene with Puck and Quinn studying in the library, 
They cut a scene where Rachel signed Kurt's yearbook and showed him what she wrote in it. I didn't watch that one. But they also cut a scene where, hey, you know who didn't get a senior monologue in this episode? Actually, no, two people didn't get senior monologues. Guess who? Mercedes, Santana, Brittany, Mike. Mercedes and Mike. Neither of neither of those two graduating seniors got a senior monologue. But there, there was a deleted scene where Mike's parents came up to give him his graduation present at his locker. And Tanner, do you want to guess what their graduation present to Mike was? What was it? They're starting a foundation to support first-generation Asian arts students. Oh, that's awesome. As in, like, you are the first student in your family to pursue an arts career. <laughs> Which I think is honestly, it, it's, that's, that's the kind of advocacy that I would expect in Glee. It is very sweet. And also, I hope that Tina gets to be very involved with it and put it on her resume so she can go wherever she damn well pleases. Yeah. Yeah. I already said the part about the last pages of the script. This is the last episode where Rory Flanagan appears physically, but he'll be back for a dream sequence. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, also, as a part of the promo for this episode, uh, the cast played a yearbook superlatives game. Okay. Did you see this? Uh, Do you want me to read out the categories and you guess who won? Sure. Okay. Best hair. Uh, Mercedes. Leah Michelle. Boo. Yeah, disagree. Biggest brainiac. Um, Diana. Actually, multi, uh, incredibly successful author Chris Colfer. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Class clown. Mark. Cordover Street. Okay. Best body. Um, Cordover Street or Mike. Harry Shum Jr. Yeah. Best dressed. Um, you're Nia. probably not gonna guess this one. Kevin McHale. That doesn't make sense. Mind you, he's only ever dressed in, like, the same sweater vest. (laughs) I'm assuming that that might have been out of character. (laughs) Yeah, it must have been. Best advice giver. Um, Amber Riley. Yes. Uh, kookiest. (sighs) Naya. Heather Morris and Vanessa Lungis. Okay, that's fair. Sweetest. Corey. Diana. Okay. Most adventurous. Also Diana. Heather. Okay. Biggest nerd. (laughs) Kevin. Darren Harry. (laughs) Biggest flirt. Mark. Mark. Uh-oh. And best laugh, I'm not going to make you guess, because they said everyone has the best laugh. Aww. Yeah, that's sweet. We could do that for our podcast, but it'd just be like, hey, which one of us gets which superlative? <laughs> <laughs> Unless we gave them out to guests, too, which could be yes. fun. I mean, but we did try doing superlatives in season one. <laughs> we did. And and we decided to stick to regular Q&As, because those can get more interesting, at least. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but speaking speaking of our own superlatives in a way, mm-hmm. what what's what song gets a gold star from you? Um, you know, I think I'm gonna give it to uh, "You Get What You Give." Same. It was my favorite out of the musical numbers. It's it's extremely solid and good, mm-hmm. and I like it, and you like it too, which are both correct. Yes. Was oh, and was your favorite scene Bert Hummel? You know, I'm actually gonna give my I'm hmm, I think I'm gonna give it to Corey's acting because. It it was just so good. Yes, that those are all very correct. Yes, he deserved so much better than being in firefighter horror movies and being on Glee. He has yeah. the range. He had the range. He did. God bless my, him. My gold star scene is Bert Hummel dancing to single ladies. Which is also correct. It's Yes, it's also an extremely good scene. Yes. And then I am slushing that entire ending. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's not my worst. 
What is your worst? Uh, the fact that Niata decided that Rachel Berry was a better candidate than Kurt Hummel. Yeah. Blah. Never. It's never justified. No. Even in-universe, I don't think they can justify it. I think Carmen Tedbodo was sitting here thinking, what the fuck was I... Why did I do this? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's season three. That's season three, y'all. Okay, so according to our schedule, this episode should be coming out before we record our Q&A. So this is our call for Q's and A's. Q's that yes. we can A. Yes. But in the event that this episode airs after, I'm just going to say, hey, also send in questions for the Q&A. And then I'm going to take this soundboard. I'm going to put it in the previous episode just to be safe. Or I'll record something of my own. There you go. And I will, uh, since I have the day off from work tomorrow, uh, I will get on our Tumblr account and post something on Tumblr. Oh, right. We have a Tumblr account. We do. I I have been trying to juggle two Tumblrs, so let's see how I do with three. Hey, Christina, why don't you tell people other social media places that we can be reached? <laughs> yes. Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know, and we will work on getting there. We can be found at LoserLikeMePod on Twitter and at LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. Uh, we also have our own Discord server uh, with the other Corner Podcast Network shows, and there are links to those in the episode description. So, next time... Well, let us let me just give a, let me give a, the gov a rundown of our plans. Yeah. So what we have blocked out so far is that next time we're going to be doing our, our season highlights, our Q&A, uh, and we're also going to briefly touch, talk about Jimmy Fallon uh, from season one, post-season one, because he forgot to do that in the actual season one post. Yeah. Then we're going to have our, uh, cross, our crossover episode where we combine Glee with a different thing, uh, and we're going to have a special guest for that one, too. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to do a cast movie. We haven't picked any cast movies, but I can't remember if I've said this, Christina, but both Fourth Man Out and Hello Again are currently on Tubi. Excellent. So do you want to just plug one of those in? Uh, what is, uh, who is Nolan? Nolan Gerard Funk, he plays a character in the upcoming fourth season. So, you know what, why don't we do that before we go into season, right before we go into season four, and then we can watch Fourth Man Out before we go into the Gooley Project. Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, this is Future Tanner here, and since you made this recording, that scheduling has changed. We will actually be doing the crossover episode first, then the cast movie, and then the Q&A highlights and Jimmy Fallon discussion. Um, so that last one is currently scheduled for July 23rd, so you've got lots of time to send your questions in to us, whether it's via email or on Twitter, or if you're on our Discord, you can send them in on the Discord. Either way, yeah, I will keep on reminding you, like, how much time you have left to send questions in, but now there's actually a lot of time instead of, like, zero time whatsoever. Awesome! Back to the original recording. I was also thinking we could watch Clocks, or Clock, which is Diana Agron's new horror movie. Uh, no. But I know you don't do horror, so I was I... also thinking that... I was also thinking that I could watch it and I could just tell you what happens. <laughs> I, here's the thing, Tanner. You know that I support Diana Agron's career. I do not, I don't even know if I want to experience this plot secondhand. That is fair. It is a pregnancy horror film. It is a pregnancy horror film. And as somebody who could theoretically get pregnant, <laughs> I would prefer not to experience that trauma in a fictional medium. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe I'll watch it and I'll see if one of our other previous guests wants to watch it. Go for it. You have my blessing to do so. Yay, we'll just plug it in as like a Halloween bonus episode or something. There you go. But yeah, so we're going to do those three bonus episodes and then we'll be going into the Glee Project Season 2. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's going to take us through like the entire summer and most of the fall. <laughs> yeah.
Oh, I forgot to put a movie in here. No, we've got, I just told you, we have two movies in here. No, I forgot to add another one to our list. Oh, gotcha. There we go. Anyways, uh, that's the episode. Stay tuned for bonus bullshit. And three, two, one. And, and that's what that's you've what missed, you missed on, on Glee. Season three of Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love the show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Season 3 of Glee. Season did it. 3 of Glee. Season 3 of Glee. <laughs> How many different ways can we say this? Season 3 of Glee. Why is all season 3 of Glee, ain't it, mate? Hey, oh, ho, 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 yes, yes, season 3 of Glee. I'm going to stop my recording so I can go get my, pe- my leftover pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I'm Roy Flanagan, and you've been watching the season 3 of Glee. Da, okay, da, I'm also going to go recording. Da.